definition, sufficiency of scripture. It means that the scripture contained all the words of God that he intended his people to have at each stage in redemptive history, and that it now contains everything we need God to tell us for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. So what this is saying, basically, is uh, God has given us his words, and they're enough. We talked earlier about other characteristics of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, that these are words from God himself, and they come with us with his authority. And um, the uh, clarity of Scripture, that is, God communicates to us in ways that we can understand, and the Bible is meant for us to be able to read and understand it. And then we talked about rules for interpretation um, for a few weeks. And then we talked last week about the necessity of Scripture. We need this for our spiritual life, and we need it to find out about salvation. <clears throat> now, the last uh, of these four characteristics today is the sufficiency of Scripture, and that is um, this contains everything that God is going to tell us in terms of what we need to obey him and trust him perfectly as well as to come to salvation. Well, how do we find that out in the Bible? First, uh, it contains enough for us to find out about salvation. Um, Paul says to Timothy, he talks about the, uh, the sacred writings, which is in context it means the Bible, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and that it's scripture that he's referring to. So uh, we come to know how to be saved through the Bible. 1 Peter 1 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So it is the Bible that enables us to understand how to have our sins forgiven, how to be saved. And in fact, when Peter gives this image of being born again, of what kind of seed, what is the seed that brought forth new spiritual life in us, he says, the word of God. And so what that means is that if you want someone to become a Christian, you want to encourage that person to read the Bible. Uh, because it's through these words, the words of the Bible, that God awakens new spiritual life in us. That's, uh, well, there are different kinds of little summaries of the way of salvation, little gospel tracts and things. But one of the reasons I think God has given such blessing to the four spiritual laws booklet that Campus Crusade puts out, put out hundreds of millions of these copies, is that the Bible itself is quoted in there. The words of God, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to all who received him, who believed in his name, he became power, gave power to become the children of God. Those scriptures, when people read them, God the Holy Spirit works through those words of Scripture to bring people to spiritual life. So, so the Bible is sufficient for finding out how to be saved. The second thing, the Bible is sufficient for living the Christian life. All Scripture is uh, breathed out by God and profitable for, reproof, for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. In other words, why did God breathe out the scripture so that we could be equipped for every good work? Um, and that, that phrase, man of God, is an echo of the Old Testament calling a prophet a man of God or a servant a man of God, but it really has application to all men and women of God, all, all people who want to serve God. The Bible is sufficient to equip us for every good work. That is, is there something good that, does God want you to raise children rightly? 
Well, then the Bible is sufficient to equip us for that good work. Uh, does God want you to conduct your business affairs honestly? Well, the Bible is sufficient to tell you how to do that. Does God want you to know how to live as a husband or a wife in a way that pleases God? Well, the Bible equips you for every good work. Does the Bible, or does God want you to uh, work in a counseling ministry? Well, the Bible is sufficient to equip you for that, to be able to help and encourage others and uh, and counsel them correctly. Does God want you to work in oh how to how to relate to uh, neighbors and friends? Uh, just personal relationships, yes, the Bible equips you for that. We go to it for guidance on the questions of life. Um, so, uh, I think that means, is there something that God's asking you to do, to work with youth, to teach Sunday school class, to um, uh, have some prayer ministry, even to know how to pray? The Bible teaches us how to do that. It equips us. Is, is that making sense? So, so that encourages us to go and say, Lord, now, here's what I'm supposed to do in life. You've given a responsibility here. Now what shall I do? I need to read your word so I know what every good work is. Or, Psalm 119, verse 1, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. It looks to me like there's an equivalence there. To be blameless is to walk in the law of the Lord. In other words, if I just... Follow this, I understand it, know what it, how it applies to me, and then follow it to walk in its ways, then I'll be blameless before God. That's all I have to do. Sometimes I think we have this kind of lingering anxiety in our brains saying, well, I don't, I guess I'm walking according to what the Bible says, but there must be something extra that I need to do in order to be really pleasing to God. And this says, no, just do this. I know this is a lot, but still it's not a secret or hidden command that you can't figure out or find out. And, and, and that's, that's, that's a great encouragement to us. Just walk in the law of the Lord. And you know what? I think that the result of that is large sections of our life should be spent just having a sense of, you know, I'm, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Um, and just having a sense of God's favor on your life. Like right now. <laughs> like this morning. What did God want you to do? Well, wake up, eat, get dressed, find your way to church, and you're here. I, I expect for most of you that's, this is what God wants you to do right now. And if you're kind of paying attention and not secretly with an earphone listening to the preparation stuff for the Super Bowl or something like that, if you're tracking with me uh, and you're, 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 you're in the class, you're doing what God wants you to do, just enjoy God's blessing. Enjoy his favor. That isn't like, oh, you should, oh, Garth, you should be doing two or three other things. And if you only knew these secret things that God wanted you to do, then you'd be happy. I mean, I think sometimes people can get that <clears throat> mindset and realize, and not remember that, no, this is what God wants you to do right now. And that has to do if uh, you're going to work, you have a job, well, he wants you to go to that job and be faithful in it. You've committed to a ministry at the church, he wants you to be faithful. And when you're carrying that out during the day, then just walk in the law of the Lord. Do I mean that you're going to be absolutely perfect and sinless? 
<clears throat> no, because there are heart things that I think are never, ever perfect in this life. The Bible says um, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and, and our neighbor as ourself. And I don't think in this life we're ever going to be, reach perfection in, uh, in loving God that much or loving our neighbor as ourself. So I don't, I don't mean to say that I don't mean to say that we don't ever need forgiveness or anything like that. But I do mean to say that there's an encouragement that in the ordinary course of life, I think we should just sort of have a kind of peace that we're doing what God wants us to do. In many cases, am I? Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Interaction on that. I am flying southwest this afternoon, Mike. I just should. <laughs> I give a little free advertisement there. Okay. I was really glad you added that phrase in many cases. Uh-huh. Um, because, and Wayne, I'll acknowledge you, you know the courses I teach at the seminary. I teach courses about um, issues of abuse, yeah. neglect, and uh, trauma, loss, and grief. Like that, I get the fun courses, and and um, I among the brethren and the sisterin in the church. I mean, there there is a lot of pain and there is a lot of hurt, not only in us individual individually, but what we inflict on other people because hurt people hurt people. And um, I just I think that I, I think. What you're saying is exactly right in that the answer is for us to uh, be in the Word, but also to be open to the Spirit of God that the Word might be in us. Okay. Because there are people who, can, who have memorized huge portions of Scripture and whose lives are way, way, way incongruent. Okay, with, with good, good. Okay, so I'm going to, because the sound doesn't carry in this room, I'm going to see if I can repeat, Sandy, what you've said or summarize. Sandy teaches uh, courses and counseling courses in uh, abuse, courses in grief and loss and trauma and things like that. And uh, you see the other side of the, the other side, yeah, I mean, even among people in Christian churches and who know their Bible, who they can be really harmful to others and inflict a lot of evil and wrong on others. And I agree with that. 100%, and I do not mean to say everything you do is good or right. I don't mean to say that. Um, because there are things that people do that are really contrary to the Bible's commands. And they're not telling the truth, and they're not loving their neighbors themselves, and, and they're harming others. And so that's, that's a good caution. Um, but then I want to say, for large numbers of people in the church, you are by and large, doing what God wants you to do during the day, and I want you to have a sense of blessing in that. So it's both. Good. Good. Uh, Bill? I'm involved with a men's group, and I would say more than the majority of the men in the group are wondering, you know, that what, what does God have for me? Yeah. And um, that's, that's the key question. And they're all businessmen. Yeah. And have been businessmen, and essentially they want their marching order. Yep. And uh, one guy, his life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. However, when he recites it, he generally puts a but in there. 
Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. But, yeah, like, I believe that. Yeah. But, but uh, this is what, you know, at any time you okay. put in there, yeah. you're not really believing. Okay. <laughs> um, so Bill is saying you work with a men's ministry and uh, or a men's ministry, and uh, a lot of guys in there in the business world are just saying, yeah, I want to obey God, but I'm not sure what he wants me to do. Is that and I hear God speaking, but I don't I'm not sure I believe it. Yeah, okay. I hear God speaking, but I'm not sure. Is it they don't not sure they believe the Bible or that they think God's calling them to do something and then they're not sure that they'll follow? I, I think it's basically the the word. Uh, they, they can't put their faith totally in the yeah. that's where they put the butt in. Yeah, that's always a challenge. You read what it says here and then are you gonna trust it? That's a challenge for all of us. I understand that. And, and yet, um, I want to come back and say, I, I mean, God's given me a privilege of just working at being and getting paid for teaching his word, and I'm really thankful for that. I do believe that God calls um, many, 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 many more people to work in ordinary, what we call secular occupations, and be faithful in those occupations. And, um, and so I'm glad that Mike's a pilot, and... I, you know, you don't want to take a seminary professor and put him at the controls of an airplane. It would be a disaster. And so that when he, when he, and and one of his friends is going to get me to California later this afternoon, I believe. Um, and and God's ordained the world so that a lot of that stuff. And if we stop to think about how many different occupations it takes just to get us, so that we have a car that drives to church here this morning. My goodness, all the people that went to work to build the car and sell it and. The, the gasoline and the maintenance and the roads and everything it's just incredible and the, the and the and the little and the 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 uh, first grade teacher that taught us to read so we know how to read the speed limit sign and the direction sign and everything like that I mean there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, that for the world to work so anyway be faithful and where God calls you in those things okay there are many other places in Psalm 119 and other places that emphasize this. I didn't put this on the outline, but I'm just going to read a few. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 3, uh, well, verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies. So there, blessed to keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. In other words, this whole psalm is about God's word. To do no wrong is to walk in his ways, and the idea is his ways are outlined in his word. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? That's verse 9. In other words, you want your way to be pure? Follow the word. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, you have God's word in your heart, follow it, and then you're not sinning. So there's a equivalence there, and that's the direction that, um, that this psalm goes. So I think uh, that this, the principle is, for salvation and then for living the Christian life, this is what God has told us. This is what we should follow. Here are the directions. Now, that means, point B, that we can find all that God has said on particular topics, and we can find answers to our questions. And so so the sufficiency of Scripture enables us to focus our search for God's words to us on the Bible alone. And this is the crucially important Reformation doctrine of sola scriptura, or the Bible alone, as opposed to the Bible plus tradition or the Bible plus other things. 
Now, when we say that, the question comes up, what about other means of guidance today? If we're saying the Bible contains all the commands that God has for us, then are we ruling out any subjective sense of the Holy Spirit leading or guiding us moment by moment? There are some people in the Christian world who push the idea of of sola scriptura or the sufficiency of scripture so much that they're afraid of anything subjective or any emotional sense that or or just an instinctive intuitive sense that God is guiding you to uh, to do anything and they'll give you stories of abuses that people have felt led by the Lord and they've gone off and done something stupid or crazy or contrary to the Bible and, of course, I realize that people do that. They, they make mistakes and they go contrary to Scripture, but I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I do think that the Bible talks about subjective means of guidance. So I've got a little PS here, a little parenthesis. I do believe that God uses subjective impressions of his will to guide us day by day, for the Bible talks about being led by the Spirit. Romans 8.14 says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led, all who are led, that's all believers, are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. And uh, Galatians 5, 16 to 18, I'll just turn to that because it's a little bit longer discussion here. Galatians 5, 16 to 18. But I say walk by the Spirit, and walk there is uh, his word for talking about the whole Christian life. Walk by the Spirit. I think that means through the day, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, guiding us. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. And the verse, the, the, the Greek uh, verb there is a, is a present tense verb that gives a sense of being continually led by the Spirit, all the time led by the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit. And then... Um, Uh, Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So I think the picture of the Christian life is not only just knowing the commands of Scripture in your heart, in your mind, and being obedient to them, but also day by day, moment by moment, having this kind of fellowship with God, the Holy Spirit, where you are sensitive to his direction and leading in when you should say something, and when you should be silent, and when you should make that phone call, and when you shouldn't, or when you should write that letter or shouldn't, and that kind of thing. And so in my own life, I mean, there's a combination. I seek to be obedient to all the commands of the Bible that apply to my life, but also every day I have this list of things that need to be done, not all of which can get done in the day. And I take those before the Lord in the morning and say, Lord, now here's the stuff that, that has to be done sometime. What Can you help me get this done? And can you help me understand what should be done now, what should be done later, or what I shouldn't do? And just give me insight into that. And I'm praying. And my, the, and my experience is when I'm praying about that kind of thing, it isn't that I get some kind of strange emotional feeling or something like that. It's that the Lord gives me more understanding of something else comes to mind about it. But sometimes there's a sense of I can't get something off my mind and I just have to get this done. And I have, and and I've kind of grown to think that that sense, if I 
it's hard to describe what it is or how I know what it is, but it is a sense of, I need to get this done today, and I can't put this off till another day. And um, oftentimes, something will sit on my to-do list for two or three months until the timing seems right. And then all of a sudden, I wake up, and it just seems like there's a sense that God wants me to do it that day. The, the English Standard Version um, of the Bible, um, I was... I was um, I'd talked to the president of Crossway Books about the possibility of working on this translation of the Bible, and we had to get rights from the National Council of Churches of Christ in New York City, and we didn't think they liked conservative evangelicals at all, it's the, but they owned the copyright to the RSV Bible that we wanted to use, the Revised Standard Version, so we had to deal with them, get the rights. And uh, president of Crossway Books made a phone call, wrote a letter, and they wrote back, and they weren't interested in talking to us, and they just they didn't want us to... So it looks like it was going nowhere, and so I said to him, well, could I, could I try one more time and just write a letter? This would be back in 1996, 97, I don't know. And, um, and so he said, sure, and here's the contact person, and I put it off for two or three months. One morning I got up, and I didn't have any classes to teach that day, and I just thought, I've got to write that letter. And I spent seven hours writing that letter, explaining what kind of translation we would do, what we would change, what kind of scholars we'd get to work on it. And this is why we wanted to do it. And I got done with the letter, and I phoned the guy out in New York City and said, you know, I've been in contact, been working with Lane Dennis from Crossway Books and about the possibility of getting permission to use the Revised Standard Version as the basis for a new translation. Could I send you a letter about this? It was a four, five, six-page letter. I can't remember. Single space and had some, a lot of details in it. And he said, sure, but you've got 15 minutes because then I'm going out of the country for two weeks. Fax it. So I faxed it. And you know what? Months of negotiations went on after that. But in the final contract that stipulated how we could get the permission, the contract said... The revision will be done according to the specifications in the letter of such and such that Wayne Grudem wrote to David Law. So, now, that's just the Lord. I wake up in the morning just a sense that this is what I need to do, and I just on that letter all day, and the Lord brought blessing to it. And the Bible, here it is, <laughs> according to the, those. Uh, that's, so, that, so I think of that. I just do not want to rule out being led by the Holy Spirit. I know that people make mistakes in being led by the Spirit, but we learn through our mistakes, and we guard against mistakes by realizing we should never be led to do anything contrary to the Bible, and by talking to others and saying, do you think this sounds right to you, and by sort of testing that leading against what else we know about the Bible and, and the situation in the world. you want to talk about that at all? being led by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I, um, I, I, I'm praying silently in faculty meeting. Lord, should I say something or not? Or in personal conversations, sometimes on a phone conversation. Lord, will you help me know if I should let that go or just say something? That kind of thing. Little things and big things. I think that is what being led by the Holy Spirit is. Pat, Pammy? 
I'm moved by your story, Wayne, that is so remarkable. Would you share with us, um, you say that you just talk to the Lord daily about your schedule, about what what is coming up. Do you do that after you've spent time in the Word, after your, after your prayer time? Oh, what's the routine for me in the morning? Uh, get up, make a cup of strong tea. Because <laughs> um, I just, I don't drink very much coffee. Uh, and then and then uh, go and sit and read the Bible. Uh, and I'm in Leviticus right now. This morning I was reading on sacrifices <laughs> in Leviticus. <laughs> a lot of sacrifices. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? So, so then I'm just kind of making some, I made some notes this morning. These sacrifices, offering animals and grain is offering their livelihood, because this is what you live off of. And the system made them give it to somebody else, the priest, so it kept them from cheating or making their own rules. And there were specific rules to prevent confusion. If everybody could sacrifice on his own, you know, just make up what kind of fire and what kind of animal and how you do it, it'd be all bizarre, strange stuff. So God gave rules. And there was a lot of symbolism in it. They put their hands on the head and confessed sin, symbolized sin, symbolized their guilt, symbolized God's holiness. He was distant. Purification had to be a lamb without blemish. And symbolized forgiveness and holiness and God's sovereignty overall and symbolized their faith and forgiveness. So there's stuff in there, and I'm just kind of thinking about that, how that works. So then I just I read for 15, 20 minutes, and then, um, then I have a notebook of things I pray through. So that just it's really simple, but it seems to work for me. Phil? I thought I heard you say that you know people make mistakes while being led by the Holy Spirit. Ah. You mean they misinterpret? Yeah. People make mistakes when they say they're being led by the Holy Spirit, but really they're not. And I I had an instance where I was, uh, one summer, was an interim pastor in a church in another state, and after the service, there was a woman who had asked for prayer for a, a back problem that she had, and Two of her women friends and I were standing in a circle right up here in the front praying for her. And this other guy comes up, and he starts praying, and he was pushy, and, and he just, it, it just wasn't right. And, and I just kind of took him by the elbow, and I said, Pete, or I can't remember his name, I said, you know, let's go. They've got, they, we'll let them pray. Well, he knew pretty much that I was kind of just saying, get out of here. So I just kind of walked away with them and let them pray. And uh, ten minutes later, he was waiting for me in the church lobby. The Spirit of God told me I was supposed to pray for that woman. He was angry. And I just said, well, the Holy Spirit didn't tell me you were supposed to pray for it. <laughs> that was kind of fight fire with fire. Uh, but uh, he, I think he was wrong. I think there was kind of a religious spirit about him that was just super overly pious, and it was fake, and it, and it turned people off, and you can sense that. Um, and so that's the kind of thing where I think people, they think they're being led by the Spirit, but they're mistaken. Um, and we had, we had a prayer meeting. The church I was in in Illinois, before we moved here, there was a kind of a, it was a kind of a situation where the church had to decide, go, no, go on a building plan, move to new property. And it had tried before and stopped, tried before and stopped, so we're going to do this now or not and go forward, put our building up for sale. So the pastor called a prayer meeting. So we're all down, you know, it was a Wednesday night or something, and I don't know, the church had, I don't know, it had 350 or 400 people, and it. it was just kind of a normal-sized church. And 
probably 40 or 50 people had come for that prayer meeting, and there were people sitting around. All of a sudden, this guy, who was, had been in the church quite a while, he takes out this piece of paper, and he said, this is what the Lord told me. And he starts reading this long list of condemnation. The Lord says, you know, I am angry with you, and you are evil people, and you don't deserve this building, and you're awful, and you're bad. And I mean, I'm, it wasn't quite that, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but it was all judgment. And uh, it put a white, wet blanket on the prayer meeting, as you co- could imagine. Um, it was kind of a silence after that. And so I turned to Margaret, and I said, did you think that was from the Lord? <laughs> and Margaret said, so now I don't think it's from the Lord. And Margaret, whose judgment I trust on these things a whole lot, didn't think it's from the Lord. So then out loud, I said, thanks, Pete. I'm calling Pete again. I'm not going to tell his real name. I said, uh, thank you, Pete, but I really don't think that was from the Lord. Out loud. Well, I was an elder, so I, that gave me a little more standing to say it. And again, afterward, he was really mad at me. <laughs> well, I had this from the Lord. What are you saying? I'm not. And but my pastor backed me up and thought it was, and I think everybody else thought it was right too. So, um, and how do you know when to do that? I, I think it's it's just like an umpire calling balls and strikes. You call it as you see it. And uh, and if you're reading your Bible and praying and walking with the Lord, He gives you a sense. Okay, of, uh, of what's right. And um, if you're in a leadership responsibility, like I was an elder there, um, uh, then I think that gives a little more, I think God gives the gifting that goes with the responsibility too. So, um, <laughs> Jack has to do this all the time when he's chairing the elder meeting. <laughs> who to call on and who to shut up. But... <laughs> But he doesn't shut people up. He's really good. He really is. Okay. Yeah. Nedra. Story. Yeah. A missionary couple. Yeah. And they were. Um, this man was called into missions. He knew the Lord had called him. Yeah. Well, he went to this woman who was in classes with him. Yeah. And he told her one day. He said, "The Lord told me you're going to be my wife." Yeah. And she said, well, he hasn't told me that. Yeah. But she went home that day, and she prayed yeah. all afternoon, and she came back, and she said, I accept. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And anyway, they went to China. Okay. They're for missionaries for you. Okay. Nedra is saying, I, I don't get the whole story. A guy came to church and told a woman, the Lord told me you're going to be my wife. No, they were in missions class. Oh, they were in missions class. Oh, all right. And she said, the Lord didn't tell me that. But then she went home and prayed about it and agreed. Now they've been missionaries in China for years. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, here's what I want to do. George Ann. I think that a submissive heart and a willingness to be obedient because Jesus said, why do you not understand my words? Because you're not willing. Um, You don't receive what I say because the Jewish people who were opposing him, they weren't willing to receive it. They didn't want to do it. So I think a willingness to obey God means that he's going to guide us more often. Um, And I just think we grow. We grow in our ability to sense what's from the Lord and what's not. But... 
from time to time, we can still make mistakes. And I remember in the, when we were in the other room in this class, it was like September of 04, maybe it was August of 04, I had a statement, we were talking about Christian government and ethics, about Christians' role in government, and I had a statement on biblical principles that were applying to the election that was coming up, because this is 04. And I read that in the class, maybe some of you remember that. And afterward, and, and I saw a couple people getting up uneasy, and afterward, the next two hours, I had this tremendous sense of guilt and accusation, like I shouldn't have done that, and it was awful, and it was wrong. And I just thought I'd missed the Lord's direction. Um, but as it turned out, I, in retrospect, I think it was right, and God used that statement, got reproduced, a number of people saw it and used it. But I think there it was just probably spiritual accusation from the enemy, making me think it was wrong. I don't think, and Bob talked about principles here. I wasn't endorsing any candidate. I was talking about issues like abortion and stem cell research and defense and things that were issues that I thought the Bible talked to. So I can make mistakes. I just I just want to say that. Where I thought it wasn't from the Lord, and I think it was, and I just... So we need friends, we need guidance. Okay, I want to go on to the next point. The next point, I also believe that God can guide us through prophecies or reports of what God has brought to mind that are spoken by other people. Now, some churches use this word prophecies, and some churches don't talk about this word prophecies, and that's a topic for another day. But if you just want to, I would summarize this as reports of what God has brought to mind that are spoken to us by other people. That is, I think the Lord showed me something that he wanted to share with you today, or wanted me to share with you, that kind of thing. And I think the New Testament would call that a prophecy. But um, in whatever case, if you're praying and you get something that you think God wants you to share with someone else, I think God can use that too. Paul says, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And we test it by our sense of what is from the Lord, by the Bible, by what we know about the rest of life, and by just counsel from friends and others. Do they think this is right? But in any case, the subjective guidance or other people telling us what they think God is guiding them to, these can never equal Scripture and authority. They should be tested by Scripture, by what else we know about a situation, and by counsel from wise friends. So those are the safeguards. And that isn't 100% safeguard, but it keeps us, in most cases, from making stupid mistakes. Yeah, what's your name? Phil. Phil? I see on your outline here that you're pretty much speaking about subjective impressions. Yes. So I want, to, I want to come back to your, what about the objective impressions, and I'm thinking specifically about commentaries, guidances, Nicene Creed or Apostolic Creed or the Count these Eden. Yeah. 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 A lot of those are really principles that guide organizational bodies and how right. they can interpret, and, and yes, they do not have that authority. So yeah. I want to make the distinction that, let's say, the Nicene Creed is better than George's special creed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good. What's your name again? Phil. Phil, yeah. Really good point. Um, we can get guidance also from the history of the church, where people have worked through questions and kind of come to conclusions. And the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed in, in 325 and the Chalcedonian Creed in 451 and and in the Reformation, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a Presbyterian or Reformed statement, excellent. 
and uh, the Augsburg Confession and the Formula of Concord are these Lutheran statements, and there's a Philadelphia Baptist Convention, which is a Baptist statement. These are really marvelous because what they are, they're the summary of hundreds and hundreds of teachers and godly scholars and lay people working through to a conclusion saying we can agree on all these things. I don't think they're equal to Scripture, but we ought to pay attention to them and help us. They should help us um, to say, hey, look, this is the way that many, many people have understood Scripture. Now, those are pretty well recognized. Yeah. But what do, you, what do you do when you go to the bookstore here or you go down to Central Christian and you've got like a used book section you've got maybe 10,000 to be exaggerating here? Yeah, yeah. For example, in reading commentaries on Job, you can find the entire spectrum yeah. from pretty conservative evangelical to yeah. totally wide open. Yeah. Liberal. Yeah. I know because I, I, when I was first trying to do some work on that, I, I grabbed a book out of the library. Yeah. And I have to admit, it felt good. So probably the spirit was <laughs> giving me subjective feedback. Uh, it turned out to be as much. I looked at it after I read another commentary. You know, yeah. It's good for the fireplace. Yeah. No. No. That, um, so well, what, what happens is individual churches now have statements of faith, too, and Scottsdale Bible Church has a statement of faith, and that's kind of a guideline here. And then, um, and then from week to week and month to month, the leadership of the church decides, well, w- will we entrust certain people to be in charge of the counseling ministry, to be in charge of adult education, to be in charge of children, and that's a, a responsibility. Uh, so, uh, and how do you know with books? They're just a wide open marketplace of books. And so that's why I'm just kind of each one individually you have to read and say, is this according to scripture or not? That's messy. It's really simpler to say the Pope says this is true and the Pope doesn't. So, I mean, that's, and there's the attractiveness of the Roman Catholic Church. You get this nihil obstat, this nothing is objectionable in this book. And then that's acceptable. Um, and Protestants haven't had that. So it's, it's like there's a lot of stuff out there, and uh, we all have responsibility as we have opportunity to read it and try to see if it's right or not, and then talk to others about it. Okay, well, God may guide you individually. I, you are worried, I know, that we're getting out at 9.15, and I am at, um, hmm, <laughs> two, two, BD. But, uh, but when I found out we're getting out at 9.15, I thought, you know what? I wanted to talk a little bit more about guidance because it's important, and I thought, if I just let this go into two parts, then two weeks from now, I don't have to prepare a new lesson, and... Uh, <laughs> You have the same outline, and so, all right, we'll come back. But now, here's the point. While God may guide you individually to do something based on, or not do something, based on subjective guidance that can't be proven from Scripture, see, I can't prove from Scripture that God wants me to call my friend out in Maryland or not, or send him an email. I can't prove that from Scripture, but I think God does guide me. And there was a letter I was working on the last couple days that I needed to, and that, I think there was a sense of God guiding me. I can't prove that from Scripture, so God may guide me individually to do that. But the sufficiency of Scripture means that you should not try to force that decision on all other Christians in your church. And here are some examples. Fasting on a certain day, different early things in the early history of the church. You're not supposed to fast on Monday and Thursday. You're supposed to fast on Wednesday and Friday. And people were trying to force, okay. Or... Not reading the Sunday paper, Margaret and I were so surprised when we went to church in England uh, when I was in doctoral work from 1973 to 76, it was kind of assumed that if you are a good Christian, you didn't buy a Sunday paper. That was misusing, misusing the Lord's Day. 
And we were surprised. I thought that was interesting. But the, anyway, that was kind of their tradition. I don't know if they have that anymore. Or no TV. Um, <laughs> maybe God will guide you not to watch TV. That's all right. But don't try to don't try to say that nobody in my Sunday school class or nobody in my church should watch TV. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Um, and I, I used this example maybe before. There was a time in our life when, when I think the Lord really led me to cancel our subscription to the Chicago Tribune. Why? Because I was spending too much time reading the Chicago Tribune in the morning, and I think God guided me in that way. But I shouldn't come to class and say, all right, you've all got to cancel your newspaper subscriptions because you're misusing your time in the morning. See, that would be forcing it on other people. So I want to distinguish between what God guides me personally to do and what I can make as a rule for others. I can make as a rule for others only what's in here, what I can prove from here. And that is, to be honest, that is something I really appreciate about Scottsdale Bible Church. Scottsdale Bible Church doesn't have a lot of extra rules that everybody has to follow about what kind of clothes you have to dress in. and um, They should. <laughs> Rose, I shouldn't have paused there. I'm just opening myself up for extra. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Okay, well... Uh, um, well, I'll just I'll just tell I'm kind of hinting around, but I'll just tell you, uh, some churches have rules that you can't uh, partake in alcoholic beverages if you're going to be a member of the church. And I grew up in a Baptist church like that in Wisconsin, but um, Scottsdale Bible Church doesn't have that rule. I know people have strong feelings one way or another, and there are health considerations and sobriety considerations and potential for abuse, but it's not a rule because there's freedom because I don't think the Bible can establish one thing or another and many other things like that, so that uh, the sufficiency of Scripture gives freedom of conscience in things where you can't demonstrate something from the Bible. Um, so Romans 14, 1-2 talks about that. Where does that leave us? Oh, I'll just do one more point, so we've got a feeling we got down to the middle of the page anyway. It is possible, I'm going to just head on Chantel because I've got to end here. It is possible to collect all the passages that directly relate to doctrinal issues. For example, you can find out what the Bible says about the atonement or the person of Christ or the work of the Holy Spirit or to all the passages that relate to ethical issues like raising children. You can look in the Bible and find what it says about raising children because you can look under parent and child and things like that or son or daughter in a concordance and you list all the verses and it gives you a lot of good guidance. Or uh, marriage and divorce, or truthfulness and lying, or the Christian civil government, etc., etc., etc. Hundreds and hundreds of topics. To me, that is good news because it means that when I'm wondering about something, the answer is to be found here. It may take some work, it may take some study, but it's here. And that's good news. Are you happy about that? Good. So we can quit. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, what a treasure you have given us in your word, and we thank you for it. There's a lot here, Lord, a lot to study, and every time we go back to read it again, we find new things in it, and we thank you that it's just, there's enough here for more than a lifetime of study, but Lord, it's here. And there are many areas of life where we can read and study and have a sense that, yes, we know what you want us to do.
And Lord, what a, what a great sense of peace that gives us. And what a joy and what a relief that your directions for us aren't hidden in mysterious documents buried somewhere in some cave or just never to be found and that your, your directions to us aren't just to be the, the special realm of only a tiny handful of, of scholars in the world, but that you've given us your word so that we can understand it and we can follow it and we can obey it. And it is good. We thank you for it. Lord, guide us through your word and guide each man and woman here also through your interaction with them during this week. Help us to grow in our ability to know your guidance and to walk in your ways. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.